0: I'm gonna go Listening to the Taming Hinges podcast: conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances podcast. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's episode is actually not going to start with the definition. um, Because I think the definition of what I'm about to talk about is... Well, it's bad. It's just... there's, you know, the, you know, the dictionary definition of it, there's the social use definitions of it, there's all sorts of different definitions for it, but I think this is one of the rare things where none of that matters. All of the preconceived notions, all of the predefined ideas, all of the things that go into this topic are, I want to say useless, but not really useless, they're just... They're just not complete, if you will. It's not a complete system. It it doesn't, it doesn't have a cycle to it. There it doesn't exist in the you know the set of the primordials. And actually, it goes all the way back to the primordials. Cause when we look at some of the ancient um stories about This about the primordials, this topic comes up and it comes up in, in regards to chaos. And it it comes up in, in regards to many different things and it affects almost everything. And before I get to the main topic of what this episode is about, I'm going to start with what I thought I was going to make this episode about first, but it's really just kind of a sidebar is history. And Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines history. The first definition on the website is a story or a tale. And I find that fascinating. I find it fascinating that history is just stories and tales. That's what it is. It's just, it's just us telling each other stories. You know, yeah, there's plenty of ways to verify and there's plenty of ways to decide if these stories are true or not. But... In reality, they're all just stories. That's what humans do. We tell stories when it comes to history. When it comes to anything, really. Because we're an imaginative being. That's you know I, I've talked about that back in episode 40 with imagination. Last episode with the recap. It's, it's a factor of imagination for us to tell these stories. Now, my personal opinion on the matter is that history is written by the victor. But hidden by the loser and this this matters to this topic for today's discussion the fact that history is written by the victor means that the individual of power or individuals depending on you know the the conflict at hand throughout all of history they get to write what happened and they get to tell the stories and the tales of what happened, and then people believe them because they won. I mean, why wouldn't you believe the person that won? They clearly knew what happened, right? No, they don't. They had an agenda, because almost every conflict in history has had an agenda. And that agenda could be as simple as, "We want your land so we can do more with it." And then the other agenda on the other side is, "We want to protect our land because we live here." But there are agendas. And thus they are biased and they have their own reasons and it just get you know, it'll gets very complicated, but that's, that's war. That's warfare. Warfare is very complicated. And as I said before, warfare is a simulation that starts in the mind. All war starts in the mind. It's all assimilation, which is imagination. From that idea, we have to look at the other side of it. So yeah, victors get believed. That's what happens. People believe what happens from the victor's Perspective essentially, but the victor has an agenda to rewrite the history they want to write. This is what the Mongolian empire was doing constantly. They were rewriting history, but at the same time, they were allowing for other things to happen. So the Mongolian empire nowadays gets, well, gets trashed a lot, but they are a really good example of what happens when the victor doesn't necessarily rewrite history just writes history. And no, I don't agree with the Mongolian Empire going around and killing thousands of people. But I'm just giving reference. What the Mongolian Khans did was spread out across the steppes and start conquering land. But at the same time, they decided, we don't want to rule this land. We just want you to pay us tribute. And I'm dumbing this down quite a bit. I, I highly recommend going and looking at the Mongolian Empire as a, a total, a total deep dive because it's a fascinating situation. And it does I'll get to the point where this episode's really about, but we need some context here. So the Mongolian emperors, known as the Khans, go and they start conquering cities and city states, and it becomes so powerful. This this Khan, this um, the horde becomes so powerful. That they start to write history almost immediately. That the word spreads of this vast horse... um, This vast army on horseback... That just comes and destroys everything. Just wipes things off the map and then leaves. There's no stopping them. They don't want anything other than for you to give them stuff. And then that's it. They just leave. So... That history spreads very quickly. Like, oh, you know, this city, state, or this town was just wiped off the map because they didn't comply. But this one over here, it, it just exists. You know, yeah, I mean, they suffered, obviously, but it still exists. So the history they, they wrote about themselves was, we're going to come and we're going to take your stuff. If you give us your stuff, we'll go away. And then if we come back again, we just want some more stuff. And then we'll, we'll, go, get, we'll go away again. The interesting part about it is they did it over such a broad spectrum of belief structures and cultural situations and societies that they allowed quite a bit to get written by those references. So instead of them writing what they wanted for history, they only had one top goal to, to Mongolia to be it. They wanted to control the world. They wanted to everything to be within their roaming area, essentially. They wanted to they were a nomadic tribe that just grew and grew and grew, and they just wanted more places to be nomadic in. In certain cases, we have an interesting combination of the victor writing the history they want to write, which is hey, the Mongolian Empire now controls this land. Give us your stuff. But then also allowing the loser to write their own history, to continue the belief structures they had, to continue the way of practice of their cultural and and societal practices. They just allowed it to happen. There was no one religion. No one had to believe the same thing. They just allowed trade. And as long as you weren't, you know, as long as you swore fealty to be part of the the. Mongolian empire you're fine again dumbing this down quite a bit so we have interesting situations like the cask system and the caste system is the tiered system of societal norm essentially the cask system says it's based on uh, karma and dharma and and being born into your your what you need to do in this lifetime. And part of that gets associated to what you do for work. Oddly enough, the cask system was a pyramided system. So there was always more farmers than artisans. There was always more artisans than warriors. There was always more warriors and politicians. There was always more politicians than uh priests. There was always more priests than there were emperors. And that's not the the full breakdown, but it, it's close enough. So the Mongolian empire comes and starts essentially attacking and, and absorbing these cities that practice the cask system. And then they'd leave. And the caste system was designed to build a, a fruitful society. You'd always have more food and more product than anything else. People would be able to be fed and then the artisans could make stuff. You'd always have more stuff for people then, you know, you would have people that needed to fight. It, it, it just this tiered system. And the caste system also had one very specific rule. And that very specific rule that was, you were to do the job that you were born to do to the best of your abilities, and if you sucked at it, it didn't matter. It was okay. If you were the shittiest farmer in the world, but you were born to be a farmer, you could just be a shitty farmer, and no one would bother you. Because we needed more farmers than anything else. But in the same vein, if you were born to be a crappy artisan and make terrible pottery that was, you know, just ugly and bad, it was fine. You were born to be a potter. Like the, that was part of the cast. So you had this pyramid system that supported itself from the bottom up. And it made that important. It made the rulers not so important. That's why they were able to just be like, yeah, we'll be a part of the Mongolian horde, whatever, no big deal. You're just like, okay, you're the new top of the pyramid, but you're only going to come around like every 10, 12 years because you're this giant roaming society. And the bigger your empire gets, the less time you'll actually be here because you'll have more of a loop to do to get back to us. So it made this very interesting, almost like golden situation. That history was written by both sides. It was written by the victor and the loser. And this is why I bring this up because today's topic of discussion, now that I'm going to get to it, is love. And I don't use any of the traditional or written definitions of love because it's one of those things that no one else gets to define, but you. And that's why that representation of history is important, that we understand that history is written by the victor. And here's the second part of it. It's often hidden by the loser. And in the case of the Mongolian Empire, the victor was both writing the history and the loser was both writing the history. They weren't hiding it. So the cultures were able to Develop And societies were able to create their own belief structures and have their own ways of thinking and doing things as long as they fell in line with the, if the horde comes around, you give the horde what they want and they leave us alone. And no, I'm not saying that's morally and ethically correct. No, I'm not saying that's the way society should be. It's just an interesting reference in history of when both the victor and the loser were allowed to write their own history. And from it, we get quite a bit of interesting topics and discussions and sharing of cultural and societal references. And the conhood had this just epic fear behind it. Just this, like, just absolute power that if you did anything the conhood didn't like, they wipe, literally wipe you, your family, and every possibility of trace off the map. There's stories that the Khan Hood poisoned entire rivers to kill off entire populations. They were horrid in their methods. So no, I don't agree with that. But at the same time, their greatest weapon, and it's often referenced by them was fear it wasn't their methods created fear but their actual weapon the spear the arrowhead in in this case because they were well known for their horsebacked archers the arrowhead was fear it only took one arrow of a Mongolian fletching fired into a city To make the city go, fuck this. We don't want any part of this. We know what's coming. The horde is on its way. A scout just put an arrow over the wall. The horde is on its way. Just put the treasure chests out front and everybody take the day off. So their biggest weapon was fear. In a society now where that has greatly changed, okay, so from that point on most of the rest, 90% of the rest of conflict has been written by the victor and hidden by the loser. Again, why that's important is now we come to a, a modern society where people are preaching love and light and all that nonsense. And it's nonsense because it's empty. The, the, the two representations there are very important. Absolutely. Very important the backing behind it is empty. There's no definition. There's no explanation. There's just this preaching of love and light and everything will be great. And that's, it's not true. And the reference I make to the Mongolian empire is the representation of that, that there's balance in all regards. The Mongolian empire could possibly be called one of the greatest empires in all of history and also a golden age of civilization in every realm of its control. Almost more so than the Roman empire, because you had this interesting caste system that built societies from the bottom up, knowing that you didn't need more warriors than farmers and a complete and total fear mongering structure where you had an absolute ruling party that just came around every 10 to 15 years, but no one would fuck with. So, at any point in time, if one of the cities was in duress, they could send a rider to the Khan, and the Khan would bring the horde and wipe whatever enemy was there off the map. They were just that powerful. Again, I'm not advocating for this being how things are, but it gives us this interesting representation of the duality that goes into both creating love and light and the horridness that gets us there. So why did I bring all that up? Because today's topic is love. And love, like I said, is not one that I take the traditional definitions from. I've actually defined love in the past. Uh, I did it in the recap episode, which is last episode, and a couple other episodes I kind of like teased at it. But I wanna start here now with what i consider love what my definition of love is and then I'll, I'll ramble on as I usually do about some other stuff that all kind of will hopefully come together in the, in the end my definition of love is understanding that everyone just everyone's unique depression is who they are and that it's just who they are but trying to draw connections between it and taking the time and putting in the effort to understand that someone else's depression is uniquely who they are, and it's not going to be the same as mine. And yeah, we can have differences, but we also have all of these de- this connections because all of us are depressed. That's why I struggled with what I was going to call this episode because we're covering history, we're going to cover love, we're going to cover what what I think is more important than all of those things I've talked about so far: connections. Connections are what drive systems. And love is the non connotation effort into understanding the connection connections between your depression and someone else's. And we know we can't understand someone else's depression. And we definitely got to stop saying, or I shouldn't say we know, I believe everyone's depressed and we got to stop saying I understand because we don't, we don't understand their depression. We don't understand their viewpoint and perspective and the shit that's going on in their head and the, you know, the, the, the stub their toe out the, out of the, uh, in the coffee, sorry, they stubbed their toe in the kitchen and spilled their coffee this morning and, and the, or the kids were just driving them nuts last night and they didn't get any sleep and or the kid was sick or, you know, their boss fucking yelled at them today and, or the coach was just, you know, yelling at them in the locker room or all of these different crazy things. The person that cut them off in traffic, the, you know, uh, the bill they forgot about, the financial distress someone might be in, all of these things. Or even, you know, on the good side, or, or I guess it could be just the good side. Like, oh, you know, they got a bonus. We just look at all these different inputs and we constantly just go, fuck, fuck off. Just, I don't want to deal with any of this stuff. Or we fake it or, you know, instead, I define love as taking in all those inputs and being like, oh, all right, you know, cool. Good for that person. That's awesome. You know, they got a bonus. That's great. Like, I don't really give a shit, but like, that's great. Like, awesome. I'm not mad. Like, I am not going to like be mad. Oh, you know, fuck you got a bonus. That's what are you, are you kidding me? Really? Come on. Come on. Really? How does it, how does that affect you in any way? You know how it affects you? It affects you by because you look inward and you go like, "Well, I didn't get a bonus." And that's your own damn problem. Stop putting that on other people. That's not love. Maybe you should practice some self-love. Maybe you should start, you know, understanding your self and your own depression and why you're having that reaction. And the, and the same idea, you know, looking at someone that might be treating you poorly. And if they're treating you poorly, just you know dealing with that situation. But if it's like an overarching thing, looking at maybe what might be affecting that. I'm not saying you have to have compassion for everyone. I'm not saying you have to have respect for everyone. That's all fine and dandy, you know, if we want to teach that situation. But when it comes to the love and light idea, love is just having or putting in the effort to understand that there might be be other factors here that someone else's depression is uniquely who they are. You're not seeing the things the way they're seeing it. And if you just take that that that's that little perspective, just kind of like pull yourself out of your own self, that's love. That's love. That is the expression of love. Just to pull yourself out of yourself a little bit and be like, wait. Did somebody like hurt you when you were a kid? Is that why you're acting out against other people? Okay, well maybe I don't want to interact with that because like you're just being a mean person and that's a decision you get to make like that's, I, I'm not going to fault you for that like if someone's just being mean to you just I'm fucking, I don't want to deal with that, I'm going to walk away but at the same time not propagating the reaction everyone has to that person don't propagate like well you know, you're clearly acting out against some sort of outside influence that I, I don't know about, you know, it's your depression. I'm just not going to reinforce that. I'm going to instead just be like, Hey man, you know, yeah, take care do do your thing and just walk away. That's where the Mongolian empire was the most powerful. Now they use fear to do it. And I don't think that's the right answer. That is a balanced structure to that situation back then. But, Attaching to that idea is what people use to do terrible things. Instead, look at the very small piece of what happens when there's a giant understanding between the two factors of depression. The depression of the Mongolian Empire was, we're going to conquer you. That's our understanding. It's what we're doing. We'll do everything we need to do to do that but the connection between them and the vassal states and the city states and the towns and all the villages in between and their, their giant empire was we can keep that from going poorly. If we do this and no, it wasn't great, but there was a connection and there's an understanding and I'm using a really negative, uh, factor here to kind of put in that perspective of sometimes things are negative. It doesn't mean we have to just attach to that and, and, you know, you can get good out of negative. You can get good out of bad. You can get bad out of good. It can, it can go any way. That's why I take the connotation out of things. So when we look at love, I think the better definition here is not have sympathy and empathy and respect for everybody. Have understanding. Put in the effort of understanding. You don't even have to understand. It. You really just got to put in the effort for it. Just take a little... Just take an extra second to be like, should I throw this quippy remark back at this person for no good reason other than to make myself feel great and feel smart and intelligent because I made them smaller? Well, in that regard, you're the you're the Mongolian Empire. But... They don't get any positive outcome out of it. So now you're worse than the the Mongolian empire. You're just a shitty person because you just made somebody else feel shitty with, with no benefit to them whatsoever. Sometimes there's things like hard love, you know, like if you got to sit one of your friends down and be like, listen, your drinking is out of control. You probably should, you know, stop that. That is, you know, a possibility. That's a thing that could happen. So that is what I mean by the definition of love, is putting in the effort for understanding, putting in the effort to find the connections between our depressions. Because we're all depressed. That's the true connection there. But let's take it one step farther, because there's this thing called unconditional love. And I define unconditional love as... Trying to understand someone's depression knowing you never will. Putting in all of the effort time and time again to understand someone's depression. Understand their uniqueness and their identity. Knowing you never will achieve it. You might get to 99% but you're never going to get to 100. And being okay with that and continuing to do it. That's unconditional love in my book. What does that mean for... Connections. What does that mean for this whole statement of love and light? Anyone trying to sell you something on the love and light ticket doesn't understand how love and light works. Because they're trying to get something out of the relationship without giving you something in return. Love and light is an empty statement. Now, if someone says love and light and they come to you with a definition of here's how you can. Better yourself. Better understand the way you think about things. Better understand your fellow human. You know, if they have some substance to it then they're the Mongolian Empire. They're still feeding bullshit in some regard because they don't quite get it. But at least you're getting something out of it and I'm kind of okay with that. I'm not okay with the emptying statement of, oh, it's just love and light and we just have to have empathy and sympathy and respect for everybody. It's an empty statement. There's nothing to that. And yeah, it sounds great on paper. Oh, it sounds so blissfully nice. That doesn't exist in the universe. The universe is constantly seeking balance. It's doing it asymmetrically. The asymmetrical balance to the Mongolian Empire was an entire age Where warfare really didn't exist between vassal states, states, and other civilizations. Because the Mongolian Empire would just come in and just wipe you the fuck off the map. Your army would take the field, and all of a sudden the horde would come over the hill, and your army would disappear overnight. They would just come in and wipe out entire encampments. If they were on their, in their roaming parties, visional sight lines. They had scouts everywhere. So... In that regard, no, it wasn't pretty. No, it wasn't nice. But a great age of peace and prosperity came to some locations due to that. Some far off villages, the horde might come around every 25 years, maybe. And the cons put it very specific that a small village only had to pay a tariff. There was all these things that went into this. Again, I use this example because no, it's not pretty. No, it's not nice. But there was balance. There really was. There was some balance there. And it all went awry in the end as all major conquests do. But as far as history goes, we have to go back to that idea of that. The victor writes history and the loser well, the loser hides it. They hide what really happened. And that's how love works in our personal relationships. That there's this conquering party of love. And there's a bunch of losers. In my family unit, love was like a non-existent. I, I have no, personally, I have no idea what love feels like. Like what people traditionally call love and like all this stuff. I know what my definition of love looks like but there's there's not a lot of feeling behind that. And I understand that there probably should be some feeling. That's That's the way we use love. There's this chemical called oxytocin that we call the love chemical and yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. But in my family unit growing up, that was not a thing. You know, it may have been when I was like a little, little kid, but mostly what that looked like was physical touch, hugging, you know, You know, lying on somebody when I was like a little kid, like that kind of stuff. Like that was, I guess what I associated with that, but that got wiped off the map with the sexual abuse. Like now you've just taken that and corrupted it to, Oh, someone's touching me. Why are they touching me? What's, what's going on here? So I didn't really experience love through the family unit. I didn't really experience love through friends. Because there was no... I had no reference. And this is why I think it's important to note the victor gets the right history and the loser gets to hide it. Because for the longest time, I've hidden the way I feel about personal relationships. I've hidden the way I am emotionally and responsively. I'm technically a very physical person. I'm 270 pounds. I'm only five foot 10, but I'm broad. You know, I got a huge beard. I'm bald. I look a certain way. I'm also a massage therapist, so I'm constantly touching people. I also am fairly, I'm not non -non nonverbal. Like I'm not nonverbal as like, as far as I don't talk to people, but a lot of my being is nonverbal. I, I, I do a lot more nonverbal communication. Like I said, I touch people for a living. During those services, sometimes I don't even talk. I'm just listening, and you know, I'm working with the body, doing intuitive body work, and you know, maybe I'm having a, a like a light conversation, or, or usually I'm asking questions and then listening to get all the feedback I need to figure out what I I need to do for this person. So I have nonverbal communication stuff. You know, I might pat somebody on the top of the head. Um, just, you know, wave stuff like that. So my representation of love is hidden because I was the loser in the, in the game of love when it came to me as a child, I lost. Uh, Oh, well, okay, whatever. I've moved on. Like it is possible to move on from these things. Everybody's like, oh, so sad. I'm not asking for pity or sympathy here. I'm just giving you a statement. Like it wasn't something I grew up with. In fact, I, I grew up with, I guess, what people would call tough love. You know, I, I watched my parents beat the shit out of my siblings, you know, to, to reprimand them or to teach them a lesson. I also watched my siblings beat the shit out of each other. Um, I was sexually abused. I watched, you know, verbal, like, just combative arguments on a regular basis, a lot of yelling and screaming. I got into a lot of yelling arguments. There's a lot of anger and hatred, um, a ton of animosity. There was also like statements that people were thinking they were coming from a, a loving standpoint, like, Oh, we love you. So we want the best for you. But really they just wanted to impose their viewpoint on me. They wanted to impose the way they think about things on me. They want to be the do what they wanted me to do. This is why I bring up this topic of love because the victor will write the history of it. The loser is going to hide it. And there's a lot of losers out there. There is, there's just a lot of people who lost the battle of love from childhood on. I'm not some unique case. My entire story is not special or unique in the grand scheme of it all. Sure. It's I'm starting to believe that it's a bit interesting. Yeah. I can definitely use it as a good platform to, you know, talk to other people and to have perspective and, you know, give a representation anecdotally, at least of What I went through and what I saw, but the loser, they're the ones hiding everything. And I I hid everything for a very long time, which is why I'm kind of speaking out now. This is, this is the whole thing with victims that they just keep it to themselves. They don't want to speak out. They hide their history. We've been doing that through all, all history. History is hidden constantly. Maybe a little bit later on in this episode, I'll I'll dive into how I learned this through learning about the Shaolin temples. I've, I've talked about it before, but when it comes to this idea of love, I think it's been twisted. I think the actual history of love has been twisted and manipulated. And in fact, the reality of it and the truth behind it has been hidden. This is why I think the love and light thing is dangerous. And it's empty. It's hollow. It doesn't have any sustenance to it. There's no substance or sustenance. It's just an empty idea. And there's all these breathy guru douchebags out there preaching it constantly. Love and light, love and light. Namaste. If they knew what namaste actually meant, if they knew what a true yogi was, yeah, they might say namaste, but they'd be way different than what they presented as. And it's not just particular to yoga. It's, 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 pervaded all sorts of shit. It's pervaded my industry with massage therapy and body work. It's pervaded all sorts of health and wellness, just meditation instruction. Just there's corruption everywhere in this. And keeping in mind, I don't fault people for being ignorant. I fault people for being willfully ignorant. I think there's a lot of willfully ignorant people out there that know they're just preaching bullshit and they have no way to back it up but people keep giving them money because they have a cool personality and they take cool pictures on Instagram and that makes it okay. Somehow effort is the differentiation here and where I'm going with this. When it refers to mental health, self-awareness and spirituality is you need to define love for yourself. And I have a strong inkling that your definition is well hidden and kept secret. Because I see it in people constantly. So let me give out some more information that most people would prefer that I didn't because they charge a lot of money to learn it over long periods of time. As far as the chakra system goes, the seven chakras that most people get taught about. Yes, they are quote unquote portals. That's why they look like lotus flowers, a spinning vortex. They, you know, uh, for, I never remember which one's which, but. Each one rotates counter to the next one. So if the the crown chakra rotates clockwise, then the third eye would rotate counterclockwise, throat would go clockwise, so on and so forth. Males start their rotation, I think it's clockwise, and I think females start it counterclockwise, going up from the root chakra. I'm not, don't quote me on that one. It might be the other way around. I haven't looked at it in a while. But... The chakras, their locations on the spinal column and into the skull and then on the top of the head are important because of the derivative into which they, quote unquote, have a portal to, which is why when someone says you need to open your heart chakra... And they do all these like breathy guru douchebag stuff about like, you got to open your heart chakra and just be like open to light and like other people's love and your love for yourself. It's an empty fucking statement. You have not given anyone anything. You've actually just made them vulnerable to the horde to come along and destroy them. Because they don't know what they need to protect and they don't need to know what they need to give to protect that. We keep trying to make people vulnerable and that's not the right answer. You don't defend the castle by leaving the fucking gate open. There's no flourishing there. That castle gets wiped off the fucking map or it gets invaded and controlled. No, you need to keep your gates up. You need to put the guards on the wall. That's totally fine. I don't know why we keep teaching people like, oh, just open yourself to the universe. That's fucking dangerous. Stop doing it. This is why people get into these systems and they're like, this is bullshit, or I got hurt, and then they like regress. Like, we keep making people as vulnerable as we can because the individual trying to make you vulnerable is preying off your vulnerability. And you don't see it because the victor writes the history and the loser hides it. You're hiding your history from yourself when you allow yourself to be vulnerable and then you get used and then someone comes along and is like, oh, well, this is why you got used and I can help that not happen to you. No, they're preying on your vulnerability and you need to fucking slap them in the face and tell them to get the fuck away from you. Okay, maybe don't take violence against them, but I get mad about this stuff because I've been through it many, many times and I've watched other people go through it and it's just this pervasive constant thing. Instead... Look at how people defended themselves from the Mongols. They knew they wanted their society to continue. They wanted their small little town, village, city, city state, vassal state, whatever. They wanted it to continue. They wanted their cultural representation. They wanted to continue their lives. They wanted to live and be whatever. So they sacrificed to defend themselves. But they never gave up their defense. They couldn't win the war against the Horde. It was too big, too powerful. And that's society. Society is the Horde. It's too big, it's too powerful to fight against. All out, an all out war. Like You just can't go up against it all out. But you can placate it, and you can work against the the tides of war and protect yourself while also achieving great things. My martial arts instructor... Preyed upon my vulnerability, not out of. I don't want to. I, I don't want to make him sound like he wasn't a bad person. A very good person, actually. Um, pretty devout Christian. He was all about helping people, and and but he had his viewpoints and he had his perspective, and he knew how to manipulate people very well. And not to say that he he didn't do it for any nefarious reason. I should say, like there was no. There was never a nefarious idea behind it. Now, that wasn't how he um, conducted himself. But he knew how to use it as an advantage. And in some cases, I don't think he he could control not doing it. Because he knew that the outcome was probably going to be positive. So he... I guess preyed upon is a, is a harsh term. Maybe I shouldn't use that. He used the advantage of me not having a good father figure in my life to step in and be like he he, he absolutely recognized that and been like, mm, well, this kid this kid could use some direction. And he harnessed that into teaching me how to be a weapon, teaching me how to fight, teaching me how to defend. And, uh, but he then cultivated philosophy and teaching me medicine and teaching me how the body worked and teaching me about myself. It was kind of like that Mongol situation. He was the horde. I I wasn't going to win this. If I went toe to toe with the guy, I was going to get my ass kicked. But by sacrificing my time, by sacrificing my money, by sacrificing my sometimes sanity and sometimes sacrificing my belief structures because we clashed quite a bit on the way we thought about the world and people and how even classes should be run and how certain things should be taught or, you know, I sacrificed those things to get the knowledge and the information and all the things that I could get from him. And we had a great relationship. He was an amazing guy. I'm not saying to say bad things about my master. He was, or one of my Sifus, I should say he was essentially my master, but, um, he was a great guy, but that was the interplay. I didn't just give everything I had to the guy. In some cases, I I did. And I got burned. I I spent money that I didn't have, you know, replacing ceiling tiles and like giving Humba and like uh, putting his uh, his teachers up in um, hotel rooms. And I don't regret anything. I you know these weren't bad things, but like I over. I overproduced and overexerted myself and it put me in bad situations sometimes. Sometimes cases where I had to like stop going to class because I couldn't afford it anymore and I had to go work more to make up the money that I had just spent for the classes as far as like, you know, helping the studio. And he didn't charge me very much. So there are these places where that occurs. But at the same time, he taught me to defend myself against That the people that really wanted to prey upon me, that really wanted to use my lack of a father figure, my lack of a a structured home, wanted to use my broken home and my depression and my suicidal nature, my anxiety, my, you know, lack of funds. They they wanted to use all those things against me. But I learned to defend myself. He helped me learn to defend myself against those things. He referred to it as a spiritual war. Because he was very Christian in that idea. And looking back, he wasn't wrong. I just didn't define it. I was holding on to the idea of like, okay, well, I'm not a Christian. And as much as I want to pretend to be one to you know, go through this process and learn more, I'm not really. So later I learned, oh, it was just his his perspective from it. I wasn't giving him love. I was, I was... I was not trying to understand our differentiation of his depression and my depression. And we had tons of connections, but I was still seeing things from my viewpoint, only my viewpoint, and trying to apply it to that without seeing that his viewpoint was his and it was separate. It was different. It was unique and that was okay. And ultimately it drove us apart. And that's what I mean by the victor gets the right history and the loser hides it specifically when it comes to love and love and light again, sounds great on paper, but most of it's empty bullshit. It just is. it's just empty bullshit. So I think a better perspective to take is to define love for yourself, what that feels like, what it 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 is to you, how you use it, how it changes your life and moves your life and then protect that knowing you're going to have to sacrifice. Knowing you're going to have to defend yourself. And you can defend yourself in multiple different ways. In my case, how I did it when I was a kid, I lied all the fucking time. I was a little liar. When it came to my family, I lied constantly. Teachers lied to defend myself because I, w- I wasn't ready to talk about the things that were happening. I wasn't ready to talk about the bruises I had on my body to the family members that were asking. I would just say I fell off the playground or you know I bumped into something. I was clumsy. And some of that was true. I stubbed my toe a lot. I wasn't ready to talk about the sexual abuse because I didn't want to hurt the individuals that were involved with it because I, I I didn't understand I just didn't understand I had no idea and then I found out they didn't understand either and it was just this propagated thing that just continued probably had probably been going on for generations and I didn't understand that that's not what love was. I didn't understand that love wasn't just copulation and like sexual touch. Took me fucking forever to figure that out. Like a really long time. (laughs) Cause I didn't also, I mean, it was also like a fat, like, you know, not attractive kid who didn't really socialize a lot. So like, it's not like I had a lot of good girlfriends and like, or, you know, Friends in general to like build other stronger relationships that were considered love because I'd already I'd already crushed that idea, like even the idea that like two males could have love for each other in a friendship capacity or uh you, you know or I just shouldn't just say two males I I mean that more even a friendship situation of like two friends couldn't just have love for each other like my my. You know, my friends who were males, I didn't have, like, I couldn't even say, like, I had love for them in any way, because to me, that meant, like, there was sexual touch, and there was, there was this, this, like, no stuff, like, no, like, that's not, that's not appropriate. We're friends. We're just friends. Like, we're just hanging out. We have a good time you know, play video games together, like... So, like, my, my idea of this whole situation was already fucking corrupted because the victor got to write the history of it. And I had to hide in my victim status my history of it. And that's pervasive through all history. It's not just on this whole love thing I'm talking about. It goes deep into... Many, many, many different aspects that I think over time may come out and we'll learn what true history is. Go ask the Vatican what really happened in history. Go ask secret societies what they're hiding. So, yes, I'm against this whole love and light thing because I don't think it's a solid ground to stand upon. I don't think it has any sustenance. Going back to the whole yoga thing with the chakra points that I, sorry, I went off on a tangent on, I'll come back to and explain the chakra system. When we talk about that and the seven points and all that stuff, when we, when someone says to open yourself to the universe, what they really mean by that, how that gets expressed physically, remember we have mental, we have spiritual, mental and physical, but they don't talk about the interplay how opening of the heart chakra where essentially love is supposed to come from in the yogic viewpoint, in the chakra viewpoint, Ayurvedic viewpoint is to open the chest cavity, sit the shoulders back and be open to society. This actually has a physical representation. If I open up somebody's, uh, multi- multifidi or the multifidum on their spinal column, get their erector group to relax a little bit, but also be you know strong enough or have the right proprioception to pull them upright. Release their front fascial line, um, the superficial front line. Get their core you know activating correctly. Open up the pectorals. Rotate the shoulders back. What happens is their chest comes forward. And we might even, you know, do the intercostals, which are the little muscles in between your rib cage to open up that, to get that to relax and help breathing. But the chest comes forward. And when that comes forward, people literally have a different perspective on life. They go, oh, wow, I see things differently because my my chest is up and open. My head's on top of my spine. You know, and it lines everything up. That's what they talk about when they talk about these meditation practices where you got to keep proper form and you got to sit, you know, lotus style and keep your spine straight. It's to create the physical representation of what that all looks like. And then once that happens, the body works correctly. Your endorphine system can work correctly, your chemical processes, nervous system, everything can start working correctly. You have to, you can't just separate one and have not the other. That's why I am adamant about. Self being three pieces, spiritual, mental, and physical, physical, mental, and spiritual. It works up and down the change as, as above, so below. And the universe is constantly seeking balance through asymmetry. Defining love for yourself is the mental translation point. That's why it's important when it comes to spirituality, because we often get sold another lie Beyond the just the love and light and be open to the universe. We get sold the creation line that I've talked about before. We get sold the your love should come from a source. And it's not true. It's another factor of history writing. I'm sorry, Victor writing the history. Your love doesn't need to come from your God. In fact, there was many pantheons in which there was a love God. But again, we combined it with this copulation and and sexual peace. Love is an understanding. It's a connection. It's a again it's it's this understanding of depressions. Unconditional love is maybe more of that personal relationship between two sexual partners, two, you know, intimate partners. But we've we've just like slurried it all together. Love doesn't need to come from anywhere but yourself. That's what yogis have been teaching forever. The whole chakra system where love in the heart that comes from within and goes outward. And it it opens itself and connects itself to the higher, to the spiritual. Love, in my personal opinion, is not a spiritual practice. And I think we've turned it into one. Love is a translation. It's a mental practice. It's a simulation. It's a a way of understanding things. And in fact, it's so corrupted in today's society that it often allows us to misunderstand. It allows us to do some terrible shit. The excuse of love allows many, many bad things to happen in the family unit. And we take that personally because the family is supposed to be a protected space to a little kid. But We don't think about that. So, I'm not sure where you thought this episode was going to go, but I think love is one of the topics that has nothing to do with spirituality. It has a shit ton to do with mental health and self-awareness, but it doesn't really have to do with spirituality. You can have love for your God, you can feel love from your God, but that's a mental translation. There's probably many, many other things going on there. And you can have love for one another and we can have love and, res- you know, those types of things for each other. And we can have understanding. We can look for connections. We can, we can do all those things. Yeah, absolutely. But preaching that it somehow has, somehow has some spiritual reference, I think is an empty, it's an empty idea. And this might be going too far, but I think this is why, Abrahamic religions have some sort of idea of a devil or, or Satan or, or, a fallen idea of it's the idea of a corruption of, of this thing we call copulation and love and combining them into the same thing. It's the same thing I experienced when I was a child that I somehow believed that sexual intercourse or sexual touch Or intimacy was love. It's what the porn industry sells on a regular basis. And it's just not true. They're separate things. They're absolutely separate. There's... Can two partners and two individuals who are sexually oriented in the fact that they they copulate together... Can they express love through that action? Yeah, love can be expressed through any action. That's why love is mental. It's a translation. You can do anything lovingly. But it's just an additive to things. It's a understanding. It's a connection. It's a a diving deeper into the connections of our depressions and understanding the uniqueness between them. But it doesn't define itself as sexual intercourse or hugging or saying, I love you. I I find that's why I don't agree with the definitions like on Merriam Webster's dictionary or anywhere else. It's something so unique to your mind has nothing to do with anyone else. But we, we, we haven't, we haven't gone that route. Instead, we've allowed it to be part of like, you know, you know, like things like public shows of affection. That's love. I don't want to see it. It, No, it's not. Love is a way of doing something. So in Kung Fu or Gong Fu, Gong Fu would, that's a better explanation. So I think I've explained Gong Fu before, but everyone has Gong Fu and everyone's kung fu is their kung fu and their kung fu is their kung fu it's it's the your kung fu is the way you in which you do something it is you it's your way love is part of that my teacher my my martial arts instructor expressed his love through the way he taught he taught lovingly in a very I'll kick your ass if I have to kind of way, but he, he was, you know, we use words like kind and respectful and and caring and we associate I don't, I don't see that. It was this, it was just something unique to the way he did things with us. He did them lovingly, but that looked very differently than like, you know, what someone's mother does when they're like wiping their kids. cheek. like, it's a, it's a way of doing something. It's, and it's unique to you it's it's part of your depression i think is just that's your expression of love is so unique to your you you can't give its definition to anybody else i guess that's really the the main point of all this is like you can't have that you can't have that i don't know i, I honestly i don't even know how to explain it You can't have that definition applied to you. Maybe is one way to put it. You can't have. (sighs) I'm struggling on this one because it's it's important, but like there's no easy way to explain it. So I I think, all right, let, let me step back. I don't believe spirituality has anything to do with love. I sat on this one for a while. I really did. I, I was just, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I got a good definition down for love. I did that. in you know, some of the other episodes and I, I've been on this thing trying to like think about what spirituality is. And it comes up a lot. Metaphysics, spirituality, all of these different places, you know, in religious study and religious practice, there's this constant reference to love over and over again. But I think it's, Bullshit it has nothing to do with spirituality. Love is just like a way of seeing things. It's a way of doing things. It's a method, which makes it a concept. It just makes all our techniques of doing things better in some way. Like a good example of that is the anecdotal thing about like a meal's better if you made it with love, right? But that love could be expressed so uniquely differently for everybody. It could be your grandmother making that loving meal for the family. But that's familial love for her to her family. It could be the cook at the restaurant or the chef at the restaurant who just really loves what they do. And that's what they they put that love for what they do into their action. Or the carpenter who puts their love of carpentry into the woodworking they do. The painter who paints a magnificent painting and puts all her love into that artistic representation of her, her depression, her mind and the way she sees things, sees things. The equestrian who has love for their horse and their, you know, their interaction there. Maybe it's the solace they take in going somewhere where it's quiet to them, that it's just them and their horse. They don't have to deal with other people and they can get away and just, you know, be with that animal. The love someone has with their pet, the comfort there, and the way they express that through the way they treat it. So, love is just this conceptual idea of, of, of methodology, of way of doing something, gong fu, your way. You can see it in people. If you really look, you can see it in people. You can see the lack there of it quite often. But I don't think it has anything to do with spirituality. It's something that's expressed through spirituality. Certainly, you can, you know, people can express their love for their God. Their love for that understanding. They can try and express that the other way to other people. Certainly. But that requires connection. Understanding. And you can't apply that because it's conceptual. It's not a principle. You can't apply that to everything. Concepts only make techniques better. They don't, they're not a principle of the universe. Balance is a principle, asymmetrical balance. So I mentioned in the beginning, the primordials, right? So we have chaos, creation, order and destruction. It's often found in the antiquity stories, history, histories or stories and tales of some sort of interaction between chaos and something or someone or some being or force that's trying to love chaos and chaos is just like get the fuck away from me I'm, I got shit to do I'm, I'm infinite possibility I can't be stuck down in love because love is a creative piece can't apply love to chaos That's why love is only a concept. It cannot be applied to chaos. Love cannot be applied to infinite possibility. Because you can only have love for something. You can only express love through something. So creation is an expression of love. It's it's giving something a structure. It's destroying the infinite possibility of of chaos. Giving structure to the ideas. And then you can have the ordering of love. The methodology, the interactions, the expression. So yes, I believe love is only a concept. It's not wholly anything. It's just a way and methodology of translating in the mental space. But we've corrupted that in modern society. We've corrupted this association of love and added in many pieces that have nothing to do with it sexual intercourse, um, intimate touch, touch in general, just being friendly with someone. I'm not saying go out and touch everybody. That's the thing. Not everybody wants to be touched. But a loving touch is much different than a caring touch. And a loving touch doesn't have to mean I want to fuck you. Where that association came from, I don't know. That sexual activity is sexual activity; it has nothing to do with understanding, connection. Like someone can lovingly touch their dog, it doesn't mean they want to have sex with their dog. So we've just we've we've coerced this. We've we've corrupted this, and that's why the love and light thing is hollow. It's empty because it doesn't. It doesn't give definition to that. It doesn't give explanation. It just allows people's minds to attach to what marketing and this whole craze of making everything very sexual and pre- preying upon the chemical endorphins of the human system and the want to procreate. We did that as a society. We made sex this, like, this, that. It's sex. It's all sex all the time. That has nothing to do with love, people. Love is just a translation. And my translation, personal, was fucked up for a really long time. Which is why I felt so unloved, because I was just a fat, ugly kid. No one wanted to have sex with me. I wasn't even really thinking about it back then. I was just like, I'm a loner, man. Nobody wants to talk to me anyway. I don't really want to talk to them, man. Like, I had been sexually abused, so I really didn't want to have like intimate connections with people. Like, I wasn't about that. But I was attached to that idea. I was corrupted in that idea. That love was that. It was a sexual encounter. And not only was I hiding from that because I didn't, that just felt gross and creepy. But at the same time, I wasn't able to see people who were reaching out to me. And wanting to make connection and, and and wanting to just get to know me, just to talk to me, to, you know, be nice to me. Because it had gone that far, that someone even being nice to me, someone liking me in any way could lead to an encounter. I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to deal with, I, I wanted anything to do with that. Felt wrong, felt corrupted, destroyed. And that's, I think you know, my story's not unique. It may be, maybe I guess some might call it extreme. But it's not unique. So I'd like to challenge people to re grasp their understanding of love, to redefine it, to re understand it, to protect it. I'm not here to tell you to be open to the universe and just, you know, just like love and respect, and, like, be open. And I know I'm mocking and making fun here, but somebody's got to. Because shit's gone too far. What I'm more so asking is defend it. Define it and defend it. And you're going to have to sacrifice some things. You know, you just that's part of intimate relationships is that. And even part of part of the unconditional love thing between two intimate individuals really trying to build a relationship together is even that is understanding what what's your definition of love what's my definition of love and we've corrupted even that understanding this is why divorce rates are so high and we've associated love with these intimate encounters and relationships but also with money, greed. That's why we have these things known as the mortal sins. They're not just bullshit. The hindrances from the Buddhist side of things, the five hindrances, these aren't bullshit things. I don't ever, you know, as much as I'm against organized religion, there's a lot of great teachings in the canonical records and, you know, there's a lot of morals and ethics and stuff in there. That's really interesting. Like I'm not against belief structures and morals and ethics and, and you know, spiritual. I'm not against any of those things. I'm against someone telling you this is how it is. Cause that's where my corruption of the understanding of love came from, which is why I'm not open to it in any way. And I'm still not to this day open to love. Cause I don't, have the greatest definition for it yet. I'm working on it. But I've, I've been for a really long time working on it in the realm of spirituality, and I had to come to this conclusion that it has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with spirituality. So I think the argument where it does is empty. That's that's why I'm making a mockery of and making fun of the love and light thing. Because that's a spiritual Practice as a spiritual idea. They, there's there's no sustenance to it because they believe it comes from somewhere else, and it doesn't. It's a mental translation. It's a concept. And I think if they shifted their perspectives to that, they could do a lot with the idea they already have. They would just better define it, better understand it, better be able to better be able to explain it. And that could that could absolutely happen. I'm not saying these people are just like fucking useless the breathy guru douchebags out there can change their ways and stop just preaching bullshit and actually give sustenance and help people. Yeah, that absolutely can happen, but they got to figure out this love thing has nothing to do with spirituality. In fact, it can't have anything to do with spirituality because it's just a conceptual way to do something to practice your gong food, practice your way. I don't put love into everything. I don't think anyone puts love into everything. There's certain things. There's definitely things you're just not going to want to put love into. Like the little kid who hates Brussels sprouts because they're kind of bitter to them, because their taste buds haven't matured enough for them to be, you know, some older individuals are like, oh, Brussels sprouts are sweet. But little kids are like, Brussels sprouts are so bitter. They're not going to be like, I love Brussels sprouts. They're not going to put their love of that type of thing into that. No, I mean, I know it's a poor example, but. It's something that does come with age and maturity in some cases because it needs time to define to, to and it's ever changing. That's why it's not a principle nature because the, the love itself is an ever changing, weird amalgamation of all your experiences and the, your relationships and, and all the things, your reality and the way you do things, which is why I think it's so important, really, for self awareness and and mental health to have a good solid definition of it for yourself. And then to defend that definition is really where I've been trying to get to for this episode is without that you are corruptible. You are susceptible to all the marketing out there with, you know, people and you know, super fit people and scantily see super fit people, scantily clad, you know, which makes the world where you go to the gym and you see people, you know, like working out and not as much quote unquote, like, Clothing as would be normally socially acceptable, and then having that reaction of like, "Oh, look at this person all undressed and stuff." You no, know, they're just working out. They're expressing their love for working out comfortably, whatever they want to wear. Like, yeah, there's social norm stuff, but like this, 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 we're just, it's just this corruption thing that the love is like a like a solid piece where people get coerced and corrupted quite a bit. Because we don't look at it from our own viewpoint. We don't look at it from our own understanding of our depression, our self-awareness, our mental health, our way of understanding love. We don't we don't apply that to the world around us. We allow other people to apply their definitions to us. That's corruption. That's coercion. That's 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 bad actors. That's um that's being susceptible to that whole idea of just like, just make yourself open to the universe. What are you making yourself open to? And if it is a spiritual practice, why? You got to ask why. And that's where I'm coming to a close here with. When looking at love, we have to, ha- we have to ask why. But why is a spiritual question. Right? Right? I've I've said many times, like, don't ask why questions unless it's a spiritual question. So, that being the case, let's give it the test. Let's give love the test. Why do you love something? Why do you love someone? Why do you... Why do you, I don't know, just ask why. Put love in a question and ask why. Why love this? Why love that? Why does love make you feel this way? Why does love make you feel gross? Why does love love attach itself to sexual experiences? Why does love, you know, when we start asking that why question about love, we find out that it's not spiritual. Instead, it's the other way around. Spirituality helps us define love. That's the key. That took me way too long to get to, but that's the key. Love doesn't answer why questions. It's actually a cop-out. It, it's a bullshit answer, which is why this love and light thing has no substance, has no sustenance. It, it, it's just, It's bullshit. In that regard, it's bullshit in the regard of it doesn't answer why questions. It breeds more why questions. The other way around, though, makes love make sense, which is what organized religions have been praying upon forever when they say like, oh, you know, love comes from God and, and God is love. Great. Again, your beliefs, your faith, all you. But your spirituality is applied to love. Love is not spirituality. Very important distinction. That's what my teacher was doing. My martial arts instructor was doing. He was teaching lovingly. His spirituality got applied to that. It came out in his Christian faith. Of wanting to help people and wanting to help, you know, if people were seeking out an understanding of God and, and, you know, the Christian savior and he would, but he never led with it. That's how he did it lovingly. His spirituality made him that type of person. Caring, you know, all the, all the words that we would, we would make synonyms were we would say go along with love. He was all of those things in his teaching methods. But those were a factor of his spirituality to respect others, to treat others like you want to be treated, to have respect for your fellow human individual, to help when you can you know like all of these things we like call golden rules and like you know the way civilization should be and all the society should be that's why faith and belief are amazing because they build those things morals and ethics and all these things and and, and function but his spirituality was applied to his methodology and one of the things he did was then express that through the action of love through understanding that I was a vulnerable kid that he could help to understanding that, yeah, we didn't agree upon everything, but, you know, we got along and we had great conversations and he shared tons and tons of wisdom and knowledge with me to help me be a better person and to help me understand myself. His love wasn't his spirituality, though. That's, it's the other way around. Because it's just a concept. he didn't take his love for his God, his God's love for him and apply it to me. He shared it with me when I was curious and I asked, and we had built a a good enough repertoire or rapport that, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm interested in this Christianity thing. And, you know, what's it all about? What's it mean to you? And, you know, what is this thing called spiritual warfare? And he shared all of that with me. He didn't lead with it though. He didn't go, all right, kid, I'm going to train you, but you got to be a Christian. That's not how it worked. He waited and he waited years until I brought up the conversation. And then he was, and even then he was like, hesitant. he's like, you know, I want you to be, I want you to, he shared things with me and he said, I want you to go home. I want you to think about it. And if you're more curious, come back, you know, and we'll go over some more. And like, he took his, like, he, that's what he did. That's how he expressed it lovingly. Cause again, he was the love thing. There was, it was an understanding. It was a, it was a him trying to like, okay, you know, this kid's definitely got some mixed up stuff. He comes from a broken home. You know, all sorts of stuff was churning through his head. He's like, can I help him with this? Is this, some, is this really for him? Like he didn't think I needed to be Christian. He was absolutely. Cause the Christians call it saving. When you bring them, when you bring someone to understand their savior, it's called saving, save yours. Bring to bring someone to the understanding of that savior is to save them. He didn't lead with that. He even asked multiple times, like you sure this is what you know, this is what you want, this is what you agree to. Like he was very adamant about all that, like understanding. He didn't just push it upon me. That's an expression of love. It was an understanding, it was a connection, it was, it was a, a defined idea that he had that he wasn't gonna do me harm. He wanted to make sure this was for me. And my decision, that's a loving action. That's a translation. I hope I've explained this well enough. Um, It was a tough topic, to be honest, to to talk about. It brings up a lot of things in my past where, again, you know, the broken home and the sexual abuse and, and just not knowing what love is. And I led with the history thing because... I have a better understanding with that situation, how history is corrupted and the victor writes the history and the loser hides it. And that probably should be its own episode in its own right. But I I wanted to get this love thing out because I think it's an important way of looking at what's going on around us. There's a lot of people saying they're doing things lovingly and they're not. There's a lot of people saying this thing about love and light and how to open... And that's It's empty. It's just coercion. And to piss some people off, I'll put this in here at the end. This is the representation of the devil in most of the Abrahamic religion ideas. It's also the representation of... in other pantheons tricksters and and you know uh, different entities of that nature because love is a coercion and the representation of the devil is to challenge that we give the devil a negative connotation maybe that's correct maybe it's not it's a challenge to the idea of the way in which we are fulfilled. And we often use love in that terminology to be fulfilled by the love of, or be fulfilled with the love in. And that's not a spiritual thing. That's a, that's a mental decision i think that's an important distinction to make i'm not saying i'm not saying if you're christian you gotta you know i'm not saying the devil's the right you know oh the devil's great I'm not a satanist not never no connotation here just looking at the representation in fact in the in the tarot deck when the fool meets the devil it's to challenge everything they've now learned that's the representation of the devil in the tarot deck It's a challenge to the things you've decided upon. It's a challenge to the things you've learned about yourself. And that's why I think I bring up love now is, is that, is that idea that we have all of these different possibilities. That's history, stories, tales. And we, we, often will decide okay through maybe rational reasonable thinking to come to a conclusive idea you know we have all of these full cups and then you know maybe we just we just we just pick one cup or, or we just empty out of the cups so we just have an empty cup so that you know the cups don't have to be full that they can be filled I'm using some verbiage here that might be uh Might be in some scripture somewhere if you look hard enough. But then we have this representation of the devil. And that is a challenging of all the things the fool learned along the way. All the things you learned about self-awareness and your mental health and your connections with others and, and, and your spirituality maybe In the tarot deck, the devil is the challenge to those things. So this is me playing devil's advocate. I don't believe love is a spiritual practice. It's a personal practice. And it's uniquely part of your depression. And thus we have to leave it out of spirituality. Not to say that spirituality can't be expressed through it. But love is not spirituality. So, so spirituality is not the expression of love. I hope that makes sense. Because we need to challenge that idea. And by challenging that idea, we'll, it'll allow the decoupling, the delinking of the use of love as a coercive and corruptive method. That the church loves you. Your God loves you. It's the other way around. You love your God. Your spirituality is your practice of your love for your God, your faith, your belief, whatever that might be. It could be multiple gods. Sometimes I like to say that I'm polytheistic. I believe in everybody's God. Your spiritual practices can express your love, they don't, but they don't define your spirituality. Like love doesn't define your spirituality, but your spirituality can ex- be an expression of your love. You can it goes, it's a one way kind of thing. And in that representation of the devil, where we have to challenge ourselves on that, we have to challenge our belief structures, we have to challenge our faith, we also have to challenge that specific idea. Because if we don't, then we're stuck in dogma and we're stuck in ideology. And that's a dangerous place for love to exist because it's not true defined love. It's something else. And I don't have a word for that yet. And I'm sure I'll come up with one, but that's why I wanted to bring it up now after the recap. Because on the recap episode, you know, I went over everything that I've I've presented so far. Depression and and what self is and what awareness is and what spirituality could be, and how you know there are some things that go into it, like intuition, insight. What are the what are the what are the senses of the spiritual body? Love is not one of them. Love is a feeling, not a sense, and that's why in modern society and science we say that we have this love chemical known as oxytocin, and it's just one of the feel good chemicals. And yeah, I don't like the link between oxytocin and love because it's not that's not an association that the mind makes that's an that's an endorphine endocrine system situation and in the same way let me put it this way I've been thinking about I should get better with social media and I wanted to put I think of memes sometimes and I thought about this meme a picture of somebody working out and somebody smoking a cigarette pick your addiction Pick your addiction. They both they both provide dopamine to the system. Pick your addiction. And that's where the corruptibility of something like love comes in when we add it to something like, oh, oxytocin, it's the love, it's the love chemical. Mm, kind of, sort of, but not in the way we think about it. We need to define that a little bit better. So on this episode, I wanted to challenge, again, plain devil's advocate kind of idea, Challenge your understanding of love, you know, define it for yourself. Think about it for yourself. You know, don't apply the why questions to your love. Keep it more on the how, what, where, you know, the non-spiritual side of things. You can absolutely do spiritual questioning, you know, with love as an idea, but it's not it's not inherently spiritual to begin with. It's just a translation point between the mind. In the same vein of that, love has nothing to do with the body. The body can express love through touch, through its senses. You know, a love for someone might, you might hear a different pitch in their voice. You yourself might change the pitch of your voice when talking to that person their smell might, you know, that's where the oxytocin thing comes in. Like, or someone who loves just, you know, likes, like, like a, a specific smell, like fresh cut, get cut grass or something like th- that. I, it's a translation. It all happens in the mind, but it doesn't, it doesn't come from the body and it doesn't come spiritually. So I wanted to challenge that before I went any farther because it's a big part of religions and it's a big part of the new age movements and all that stuff. And I, I, I don't think it has any place in it. I think it's a separate topic. I think it's a a conceptual idea of the mind to have this thing known as love. So I challenge yours and your definitions and I hope you really do think about it and get a really good, solid understanding so you can defend yourself in all of the craziness that is the world. Sorry, this one's a bit of a bummer. I honestly really didn't know how to tackle it correctly. Hopefully I, I've given enough information, argument, or reason to make my point, but and you can, I mean, totally okay to just be like, Phil, you're an idiot. <laughs> Shut up. Oh yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, yes, yeah, it was a tough one. And again, it was a tough one because of my background and I struggled. I really, I guess I should put it this way. I really wanted love to be a part of the spirituality thing. I really did, because it would help make things make a lot more sense. But it just doesn't fit. Even the unconditional love thing—it just—I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that's the difference. I was like, hey, you know, is this unconditional love thing, or like, you know, it just didn't fit. It just, for some reason, doesn't fit right. There's no balance to it. Because you can't balance it out with hatred. Love and hatred, they don't balance each other. I think that's that's really where I realized like, oh, this is a conceptual idea because there's love and hatred doesn't balance out the equation. There's no amount of love that destroys hatred. There's no amount of hatred that destroys love. They're unique representations. It's actually, you know, when you talk about the stories of chaos and how there's this outside force or person in the stories and tales... That's always trying to chase chaos around it and get chaos to love it or to express their love to chaos, to be, to love chaos. And chaos is like, yeah, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm running away. I don't want anything to do with you. And it just disappears. That's the interplay. That's what those stories are telling it. Like that's the interplay between hatred and love. It's not a balancing force. There is no balance to it. They're like subdivisions. This is why in a lot of the pantheons, my personal opinion, love is represented by a god There's a love god But when you really look at it, there's multiple love gods, there's not just one, and that's where we place this word and action of love on top of these gods that actually had specific roles Cupid's not the god of love Cupid's the god of relationships. We course we we forgot about that course that I just didn't understand that somewhere along the way. Cupid's not the god of love. Cupid was the god of relationships. Cupid had multiple different arrows. Cupid just didn't just shoot somebody with an arrow and then they loved each other. No, no, no. Cupid could shoot you with all sorts of different arrows. Cupid had many arrows to, you know, Cupid was the God of relationships and like Cupid could get enemies to stop being enemies. And in that regard, yeah, like I get how we placed upon the idea that Cupid's, but we placed, so I guess in that, in that regard, Cupid is the God of love, like where it could get two enemies to reconcile. It could get two individuals to understand each other better. But we placed this whole idea of like shoot the arrow and then get the heart and they love, they love each other and then they make out. That's not what Cupid was about, (laughs) you know, and there's many different representations of quote unquote gods of love. A lot of them just get misconstrued with gods of fertility. We've had many fertility gods throughout all of antiquity, but they're not gods of love. They're gods of fertility. It's different. So yeah, somewhere along the lines, translations just became poor and then we got this word love and, We attach it to different things, but it's really a conceptual idea of the way in which something is expressed or done. And like I said, unfortunately, it's not part of spirituality. I really, really was hoping it was going to because it really would have made a lot more stuff make a lot more sense. Like with senses and, and feelings and emotions and how those could be expressed from the spiritual body down to us. I was really hoping love would be, and it might still be on the very edge of it, sort of the link of how we can associate or feel the senses of our spiritual body to the physical body. Remember if you've listened to the intuition, instinct or insight episodes about how there is some representation in the physical body from the um, spiritual senses and vice versa, I think. I was, I'm still holding on to an inkling, I guess, of hope that love is somehow part of that understanding or feeling. I'm not, not quite sure. It's slowly degrading. Like it, it feels like that, that is even something I can't attach to because it's just going to fall apart. It's, it's almost like from the spiritual side of things and I know I'm just rambling on here at the end because I just want to give as much of this information as I can. It, it seems to me that the story of, of love, that the, the representations of the gods of love, the representation of singular God and having love for that God and that God having love for you, and it's been used as like a translation idea, but it's empty. It's empty because it's supposed to be. That love is supposed to be a challenge. That even the devil in the Christian community is the representation of love. And I know that's blasphemous to say, but isn't that representation of what love can be like it's just a conceptual idea so the challenging of you and yourself is a loving action It's, it's almost like this idea of love we've had backwards that it's supposed to be a challenge it's supposed to be tough it's supposed to teach us hard lessons it's not supposed to be pretty it's not supposed to be great and that's what the asymmetrical balance to it actually is is that it's supposed to lead to terrible crushing feelings. Because that gets shit done. It teaches us things. It really reinforces things. But if we don't have that understanding of, of love. If we think it's just this great magical thing. And that everything should be love and light and awesome. It's it opens you to that being really bad. And that's why I think we need to defend ourselves against it. And we need to stop putting so much emphasis on it is that I'm almost fortunate in the fact that I learned real young. It's not this amazing thing. Everybody thinks it is or says it is. It's really just a misunderstanding of not being able to express or talk about what love is to you. It's it's part of that depressive veil that it's so uniquely a part of your opinion and viewpoint and structure and the way you see things that we can't really tell someone this is what love is. This is what love feels like. We try very often. But it gets that's where it gets misconstrued as, oh yeah, love is sexual intercourse or love is intimate touching or love is is doing things that put you into bad positions um because it's all for love. You know, it's love is being obsessive. Love is, you know, we don't we like to make it like a magical like Cupid idea of like a little arrow and then hearts and all love. But like, love turns ugly. Love can be sickening. Love is a good excuse to do bad shit or stupid shit. So that's where I think it goes against the idea of it becoming spirituality and I was fortunate enough to learn that very young. And I'm not saying I wish that upon people, but I think it's a Better educational piece to say, hey, there's this thing known as love, and you're going to learn to define it for yourself, and you have to define it for yourself, but the preconceived notions of it don't give you the full story. That it's, it's painful, and it leaves you vulnerable, and it can end badly, and you're going to do things you regret because of it. And you're going to call, you're going to mistake it for certain things. You're going to call something love and it's not actually love. And I've fallen for that my entire life up until very recently. My most recent quote unquote relationship was a falsification of love. Someone said they loved me and they were just lying. They were just using that as an excuse to treat me poorly. And I'm so ingrained to allowing that happening, that that's what love is to me, that it's almost like, oh yeah, you love me? Cool, you're going to treat me like shit and I'm just going to like deal with it. You're going to do things for your benefit and I'm going to sacrifice. And yeah, that's love. So that's where I come from on that viewpoint. And I hope I've challenged your understanding of it enough to make you look at it and define it better for yourself and understand that, no, no, hatred is not the balance of it. Love is almost its balance to its own self because it's a teaching thing. Love is a coin. It's not one side of the coin. It's not one side of the yin-yang symbol. Love is a coin. And thus it's a measurement of everything which makes it a concept. The techniques in which we go about representing it and the principles we apply to it are very very in depth but very important to understand that it's not a principle that gets applied to everything else it's just a coin to measure things and often that coin is fucked up and we use it to measure things poorly we use it to be like oh yeah you know they treat me badly but they love me you know I won't go too far down this, this rabbit hole because it's Painful and it's upsetting to a lot of people. And although I, yeah, I do like to use that to reinforce some statements. I'm going to, um, going to step down off that pedestal for now. Maybe I'll talk about it another time. So go challenge your definition of love for me. Define your, you know, love for yourself. Look at, you know, go apply this backwards to, you know, older episodes and, you know, talking about self-awareness and mental health. But to wrap it up yeah i don't think i don't think love has anything to do with spirituality unfortunately i was really hoping it would and i could you know get this as a jumping off point so failure on this one <laughs> this one failed to help me better under well not failed to understand I, it helps me understand spirituality better that it's not part of it and i'm going to continue my efforts to better understand spirituality and what that actually looks like and leave love to the side on that one thank you for listening Um, head over to TamingHindrances.com, check out the archive, uh, head over to PureBulk.com if you want to support the podcast and buy something. (laughs) Use TamingHindrances, T-A-M-I-N-G-H-I-N-D-R-A-N-C-E-S for 10% off during checkout. Uh, I get a small uh, commission for anything that you buy. PureBulk's awesome. Um, They just came out with a new uh, immune regimen that Timothy over at PureBulk put together. Um, check that out. Um, I also really like their immune support. I take that every day. It's a great one. Uh, they just have all sorts of great stuff. Chaga mushroom, uh, Cliff High's Pure Sleep, which I've done a review on on YouTube. Check out the YouTube channel. You know, do a like, subscribe if you want to. That helps support the channel. Send me a review. have never gotten a review yet. Would really like to... Re- Even if you're like, dude, you're an idiot and your beard sucks. Actually, on the website, when you click review, uh, the rating for the podcast is... Um, to rate my beard is the level at which I rate the podcast. You can rate my beard and tell me what you think of the podcast. Um, what else? That's about it. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one or talk to you on the next one. Take care. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, Don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome, and just remember to breathe.